This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. And this is Jarrett Murphy from City Limits. Ben, it's been a busy week on the political front for the affordable housing plan. We had um, the mayor rolling out endorsements of the plan by NAACP and the Urban League. Uh, we had the Real Authority for All Coalition, which has been one of his, the agitators, the critics of his plan, calling off a rally. The next day, the mayor publishing a major op-ed in the Daily News about his plan and then holding a kind of boisterous rally himself. So for a mayor who's sometimes been challenged on politics in general and certainly the politics of this, it feels as though maybe he's kind of rounded a, a corner. There's some indication that this week shows some of this turning point. Like you said, one of his biggest critics, you know, this group um, that has really been pushing for deeper levels of affordability in the housing plan. They called off a big rally in March that was supposed to go down Broadway and the NYPD was setting up for it and everybody thought it was happening, but the night before they canceled. Um, and then the mayor has his big rally with a bunch of union allies, the AARP, which has turned out to be one of his biggest boosters in all of this because they really like the um, affordable housing for senior element of uh, one of the two zoning plans, the ZQA, Zoning for Equality and Affordability. Um, and the mayor was out there on the steps of City Hall on a beautiful spring day, uh, you know, on Wednesday, and he was talking into a megaphone, and he was really rallying the troops and saying, we got to get this done, we got to save the city, basically, we got to make sure everybody can live here. And, you know, you saw indications of what is going to be a big piece of his re-election campaign as he was out there, with you know, on a on a nice day having a big rally. And you wonder, and I suppose people will do kind of a post-mortem on this, but how he has managed it, if this does turn out to be a turning point, um, whether this indicates merely the force of the argument, some skillful behind-the-scenes maneuvering, or whether this is just the power of the mayor. In the mm. end, even a mayor who is not particularly politically strong at this moment, although the past month or so has been better than maybe the previous three months, um, that in, in New York City, uh, a mayor who is, um, you know, in charge of all the agencies and has a, still a, a substantial amount of political support can get done basically what he wants to get done. Well, here's my take on ha what happened here. I think that for them to put this stuff forward to begin with, he knew the Speaker of the City Council was on board generally, if not uh, totally. And he knew that if for her to be on board, that meant, you know, a lot of council members were also on board. And the idea of mandatory inclusionary housing, of mandating affordable units with new development in rezoned areas, you know, that's something that a lot of these council members have been wanting for years and that the Bloomberg administration had very little interest in. They wanted, you know, all of this sort of voluntary affordable housing being built as these as these big, you know, towers went up. So I think he knew that ahead of time. I think what they really failed with was getting council members to be good advocates for the plan and the community board outreach and some of this stuff that we saw the results with when all the community boards or most of the community boards had major problems with the plan. But now as things have moved forward, you know, we've seen things sort of shape into form. Right. And a lot of the problems were, as you said, this is an idea that's been kicked around, advocated for for many years. What de Blasio did was put some numbers on it, and at first people had a little sticker shock. You know, the numbers were too high, they were too low. Uh, and obviously the, those numbers are, are what we have assumed would be likely to change during the negotiation, some of which the mayor and his people probably planned for when they, when they first pitched those numbers. Uh, do you have any sense of kind of like where there's likely to be some adjustment in what the city ends up doing compared to what was proposed? I mean, I think there's no doubt, and city council members made this very clear, and we've talked about this before, that 
they were going to adjust the affordability numbers at least a little bit and try to figure out ways where some of these formulas could be tweaked to include units for those making you know twenty five thirty thousand dollars a year in that range where the the rent caps on certain a certain number of apartments in some of these units would um, mean that people making let's say thirty thousand dollars a year would not be spending more than thirty percent of their income on their rent, which gives you a pretty low rent for for apartments in certain parts of the city. But again, we're largely talking about parts of the city that are going to experience this that you know aren't necessarily the downtown Brooklyn Manhattan areas that are already pretty developed as we you know alluded to in terms of the Bloomberg years of development. And it's interesting too we've been doing some reporting on just how much of the assessment of what the impact of the plan will be is based on it's based on a projection of the future. Uh, and and that depends on a lot of things. It depends on how the market performs. You know, Vicky Bean in one of the hearings this week talked about the fact that they don't know exactly what's going to happen in, say, East New York, you mm. know, when the market will come in, how fiercely it will come in, how that will shape the first few years of the plan, the entire rollout of the plan. Um, the plan is very much contingent on 421A, which remains, you know, a huge, a huge question mark. So the future is kind of interesting. I mean, MIH, ZQA, they're going to, we assume will take effect, they'll be passed. Uh, and then I think that this process will obviously revert to the local level, to these 15 areas the mayor has talked about, where in addition to the citywide requirements he's putting in, there's going to be intense rezonings and potentially intense city investments. And we saw, as we've seen for months, East New York is kind of the test case, and there was a key hearing on, on that this week. Yeah, so even before the mayor's rallying for his broader citywide plans, there was a hearing Monday at the city council on the specific East New York rezoning. It was very interesting timing because it was even acknowledged at the hearing that they're talking about the rezoning of this big swath of East New York, which depends on MIH and ZQA sort of being passed through. And it's, you know, a little bit of a wink and a nod to say, well, obviously those are going to be passed through. And that's why we're moving forward on this first neighborhood as well. And I think everybody pretty much assumes that. You know, on Monday, we saw, again, the local council members who will have a lot more say now in terms of the neighborhood rezonings, you know, Rafael Espinal and, to a lesser extent, Inez Barron, you know, they basically were pushing and saying, we like where we've gotten, but we, we need to get further in terms of the benefits for the community, the affordable uh, affordability levels, and, you know, the planning to make sure there's enough school seats, enough daycare, enough retail, all the different infrastructure for transportation, all the different things that, um, you know, neighborhoods need and want, especially if there's going to be more density coming in. Right. And some limitations in terms of what the city can um, really absolutely promise it can it can invest in those areas. I mean, there is a fund out there to pay for infrastructure improvements in rezoned areas. It's, I think, a billion dollars. Uh, but some of the more uncomfortable or awkward questions during the hearing, I think, were about, you know, what the city could actually definitively commit to for each particular neighborhood. And obviously East New York is coming now, uh, but there are neighborhoods that will be part of this that haven't actually officially been named yet. Right. It's, it's, it's fascinating number crunching combined with politics here. They, you know, this came up at the hearing. There's this billion dollar fund over 10 years to, to you know, finance things like um, you know, changing, uh, you know, adding school seats or, or changing transportation infrastructure, but nobody really knows how much is dedicated to East New York. And that was very strange. And we even 
followed up with HPD after the hearing to say, you don't even have an estimate in terms of how much of this billion dollars is going to be dedicated to East New York, because then as you do neighborhood number two and three and four, you know, you start to like cut away at some of that money. And they didn't have a, a real rough estimate uh, for us. And I know you guys at City Limits also wrote about the hearing and noting also this big question that keeps hanging over about local hiring and jobs and, and what's going to happen with that. And I think that's going to be a sticking point in all of these discussions. It totally will. Yeah. And I think that, you know, the, the de Blasio plan from the beginning really wasn't a citywide plan. We've been talking about MIH and CQA, which are the citywide elements, but it very much was built around the idea that you had a vision for what you wanted to accomplish citywide and you're going to do it neighborhood by neighborhood and kind of right size, or at least that's the thinking, each plan to each neighborhood. That um, they, they thought that made sense on a policy basis. It kind of fit with their vision of what community planning should be. Um, but what that has meant is that you were setting up the potential for um, exhausting and very different battles in each neighborhood and also in what might be a different city. I mean, we're talking about East New York now. We'll probably talk about Flushing and uh, Jerome Avenue, maybe Bay Street later this year. Then we get into 2017. You know, some of these neighborhoods we won't be dealing with probably until, you know, the first, second, maybe third year of uh, potentially de Blasio's second term. Economy could be different, city could be different, his political standing could be different. Um, yeah. So I think it's, it's interesting to, it'll be interesting to re revisit how, you know, neighborhood 14 and 15 looks relative to, to East New York, which is number one. And you hit on it with 421A, which I want to get back to in a second, but in terms of just giving people a, a, a look ahead, the city council is, you know, the clock is ticking on the MIHCQA negotiations, and the speaker of the city council, Melissa Mark Viverito, said yesterday those negotiations are ongoing, intensifying, they're productive, and we could be looking at, you know, something coming through on that by the end of the month. Um, then you have the East New York clock ticking as well, which has a little bit more of an extended timeline. As all this happens, we are three weeks from a budget deal needing to be done in Albany with the real estate tax break, the 421A, having already expired about two months ago now. And that's hanging over all of this as well. So, you know, giving people a sense of sort of what to watch for uh, in the coming weeks here, that, that's one that we can't forget. And that came up at the East New York hearing where Vicki Bean of HPD actually said, for the time being, no 421A actually means developers might be coming to us at HPD for more subsidies, which could build some more affordable housing. Right. I think that's, you know, that's a takeaway for me from this whole process. I've covered housing for many, many years. But seeing this plan roll out, seeing the discussion about both the local and the citywide elements, just realizing how much of a an intricate uh, interlinking there is between the finances, um, the legality and the politics of this. I mean, the whole argument about how deep the affordability should be, how deep the requirement should be in MIH, ties together an HPD assessment of what the market can bear and a legal analysis of what you can, under the Constitution, require people uh, under zoning, uh, given that it is private property you're dealing with. And when 421A changes or perhaps goes away, um, that affects those other parts a lot. It affects what you can legally require, and then that will in turn affect the politics of whatever it is you're proposing. So it is uh, going to be an interesting few weeks for de Blasio and his plan. Yeah, and we'll be watching.